Hey, how's it going? I'm Nick, and I'm your host on the Echo Academy podcast, a podcast dedicated to uncovering helpful tools and strategies to improve your quality of life at work. On today's episode, we talk about how to learn from your colleagues in the same organization. My guest today is Deborah Tan Pink. Deborah is the CEO of Smartup.io, an ad tech startup founded in the UK and headquartered in Singapore. Before joining tech, Debs, as she prefers to be called, spent 12 years in women's lifestyle publishing and was the launch editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan Singapore. Deborah believes content will remain a strong play for many industries because it provides businesses with the opportunity to build contextual relevance and hence establish essential connections with the customers. When she's not busy running the business, Debs continues to speak and give workshops in content management, creation, and strategy. In addition, Deborah devotes a lot of her time on writing, working out, and taking care of a four-year-old Singapore special, Tofu. If you'd like to find out more about Deborah in this episode, you can go to echo.academy forward slash Deborah. That's E-K-H-O dot A-C-A-D-E-M-Y forward slash D-E-B-O-R-A-H. Today's conversation was particularly enlightening for me, and I'm really happy to share it with you. So, here's my interview with Deborah. All right, Deborah, welcome to the podcast. Hey, hi. Thanks for having me. Um, so today's topic is um, something I find really interesting because, I mean, I've only really been, uh, only really had a short career so far, only five, six years. But okay. during that time, I found myself wanting to learn from my colleagues, especially when you're in big organizations. Yep. And there's just so much to learn from, from so many people who do certain things right. But it's always hard to get in touch with them or, you know, being able to retain those. Yep. Uh, those best practices, so mm-hmm. to speak. So I thought, um, you know, given what you do in your current day job, you know, which is really consolidating those micro learnings, I thought it would be good to really yeah. to, to, to pick your brain, so to speak. So, but before that, um, I just, I'm just interested because you, mm-hmm. you spend a lot of your time, a lot of your career rather, as mm-hmm. an editor and a content producer. Yep. Um, I'm interested, you know, uh, what 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 were some of the most rewarding parts of being in that line of work? Well, I think a lot of people. Okay, so everyone always asks, "Is the magazine world like the Devil Wears Prada?" <laughs> right, <laughs> but it re- I really hate that movie because maybe it's like that in the states or in bigger countries where like the audience, the, the readers are you know, the base is so much larger, but in Singapore, you know, in the magazine world, we we can't just depend on readers to make a living. So a lot of times we depend on advertisers, we depend on events to make that money. You get what I'm saying? So, yeah. and so it keeps you pretty down to earth because you find that you have to learn to work with the salespeople. You have to learn to work with your marketing people and they bring a dose of reality into your line of work. So you can't just go into the office and you just throw your coat at your <laughs> editorial assistant or you cannot just you know go to a client's office or a brand like Chanel and say, hey, you know what? I would like a Chanel bag. Give it to me. Maybe right. some editors can, but like certainly not my magazine, right? Right. And um, yeah, so I think the most rewarding part about having started my career in the magazine is really, first of all, the the rigor that it put into the way I write and it, you know, and the way I edit um, people's writing. Right. So nowadays, unfortunately, with, you know, the rise of blogging, the rise of user-generated content, people don't seem to put that much emphasis on how certain things are written, how certain things are expressed, and obviously how certain things are edited. And it, for want of a better word, annoys the (laughs) crap out of me, right? Just (laughs) seeing, you know, like a video on Facebook, 300 over 1,000 views, and the captions are grammatically 
wrong all over the place you know and yeah. and back in magazine you have rules and i know rules to the millennials and to the gen z generation they kind of go oh rules you know that's so stuffy that's so sticky that's not the way people express themselves but there are rules so say for instance if you're describing an action in a video or a photo you use present tense right. so nowadays it really really is annoying when you look at these food videos i mean yes the food looks fantastic right but <laughs> i really could go on and on again yeah. <laughs> the food looks fantastic and you have captions that go coconut is being poured into the freshly made pancake that's been handmade since and this is i think slightly better than what i actually saw <laughs> on screen and it just galls the shit out of me so i think the most rewarding job of it all is that you know coming from magazines you are so trained in how you write and how you edit right. that even as you go into content production in other fields, you bring that standard, that professionalism with you. And I think that is severely lacking in a lot of content these days. Right. Yeah. And to be honest, I'm quite, I'm quite conflicted because on one hand, I agree with you because mm. right now, I think the, the onus is almost on the consumer to have to filter out what's good content and what's bad content. content. Exactly. Whereas back in the day, well, I say back in the day, like as if I was around in the seventies, <laughs> but but I mean, but not not too long ago, even mm -hmm. right, there were gatekeepers that allowed me the opportunity to only receive good content. Yeah. But at the same time, it also filtered. Yeah. Um, things that I wanna listen or read to, but never got the mm -hmm. chance. So whereas, uh, the 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 bad part is definitely. Now I have to be the one sorting out what's good mm. and what's bad. Yeah. But the the good part is that now there's no filter. So in a way, the content that would normally not have mm. been allowed to yeah. see the light of day now yeah. has that opportunity. So I think as with anything, right, you know, it's just with progress, you get both good and bad out of... I guess, but it's just like how, you know, how... Certain scientists have found out like the way you use your phone, the way content is being pushed to us has rewired the way our brains work as well. And to a certain extent, it's dehumanizing our brains. So we become less sensitized to maybe pictures of people suffering. Right. We become less sensitized to news like climate change news, for instance. Right. So nowadays when you see things like, you know, um, it's true, the ocean is losing oxygen and that. I have to be honest, when I go onto my Facebook and I see news like that, it's a blind spot. I just screw up. And I feel like this is one of the cons that, you know, you said just now about media being con and content being unfiltered. Yeah. I also feel like while there's a good thing in that there's so much more content that's being pushed to you right now, it is also kind of making you less sensitized to content that really matters. And unfortunately, not everyone, not every person in society has that filter. So naturally, everyone just gravitate towards like puppy videos, right. food <laughs> videos, or like scandalous videos of, of tourists in Philippines wearing very skimpy bikinis right. and asking to see the photos. So I don't know whether we are becoming dumber. Mm. Like, yes, we have a lot more content, and we and the owners, like you said, is on us to filter that content and really go for the ones that we should naturally make that should naturally make us better people. Right. But I feel that's not the case. I feel that in a lot of cases, in the majority of people, we are actually becoming stupider and we right. are actually becoming less sensitive and less empathetic. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think you're definitely right there. And I mean, hence the reason why I have a dilemma, you know, it's so, yeah. it, it's so hard because, and, and to your point, I remember before 2013, mm. uh, you know, I used to see all these like climate and, and issues with endangered animals yeah. and, I, and I, I never really felt for it, you know, because it was just so many. And like you said, I, I became yeah. desensitized. And then in 2013, when I went to the Amazon and, you know, the... <clears throat> the person at the research station showed us, you know, the effects of climate yeah. change, the effects of oil industry, the oil industry coming in and just, you know, drilling out oil from the Amazon. You see the endangered animals and you really start to feel it. So I think it's not so much that we're desensitized. It's not personalized to us anymore. Like it doesn't, it's very different from seeing it in real life. Mm. And 
I think the challenge with content now is to really make it, <clears throat> excuse me, so relatable to us that you know we can feel it through the the screen that we're watching yeah. it from or the 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 years that yeah. we listen to. Like yeah. I guess that's why there's so much more emphasis these days on making learning an experience and yeah. content consumption an experience as well. So, you know, not only is it enough for us to tell you that, you know, we should not be supporting puppy mills, right? The Dodo shows you pictures of, you know, videos of dogs being rehabilitated or dogs being so grateful that they are adopted and families' lives being changed because they adopted this dog. And yeah, that really tugs at the heartstring and... I guess that is why more and more corporates, more and more content producers, more and more learning leaders are using storytelling as well to make that learning, that content stick better and relate better to people. Yeah. Yeah, got it. Which is a perfect segue to our mm. my first question to you at least, which yeah. is, I mean, you've been in the content mm. production, if it's fair to say, for, yeah. for quite a few years. I mean, how do you think content is being... How or how do you think content will be consumed in the next few years? Yeah, I think... Okay, so even though I work in the tech industry and a tech <laughs> startup, yeah. I always feel like I want to pull back on that. And I always want to believe that there is a shred of our humanity that is worth saving. So every time I go for conferences and I sit on panels and people ask, so what is the latest thing that, you know, tech will change the way people learn, tech will change the way people, you know, consumes content, consume content. Yes, admittedly, there is a lot of, you know, um, newfangled tech out there that will help you, I don't know, better relate to the content that is right in front of you, whether it's AR, VR, storytelling, videos, moving images, and that kind of stuff, right? But I think at the core of it, the reason why I am so passionate about content, the reason why, you know, me and my friends who have who were in publishing are a lot more selective in the content that we consume is also because we are personally invested in the quality of content that's being put out there. Somehow or other, even though you've left publishing, you kind of feel responsible for the quality of content that is still being put out there. And right. you just go like, oh my God, if only I had gotten my hands on your copy, this <laughs> would have been so much better. So I feel like, to answer your question, the way content is consumed, you can choose. It's really up to you. It's choose your own adventure. First of right. all, we have to remember, this is really, we're going down the path of choose your own adventure. Okay, and the path is you can choose to be stupid about it or you can choose to be really intelligent about it. Okay, I'm not going to tell you where majority of the people fall. Yeah. But if you choose to be intelligent about it, it also means that you are creating content as well. You need to become a content creator in order to be a better consumer of content. Can you explain that further? So, first of all, you know, um, so a couple of months ago, I was interviewing my co-CEO, Frank Meehan right. from Smartup, um, who's also the co-founder of our startup, um, about learning and stuff like that. And we got to the point where I was telling him, you know, actually, there is a parallel in the way um, content is consumed, especially learning content. So, back in the days, like you said, right, content is being pushed to you. So, you it's actually filtered and only the quality, so we believe the quality content right. comes to you. So, um, that's in terms of magazines, magazine, uh, newspapers, TV shows, you know, it's been edited, it's been researched, there is some kind of production quality being put on these content before it reaches the consumer. And I have to say, like, those were like the golden days of magazines, right? I still remember when we put a t-shirt from Far East Plaza in the pages of Cleo, and then the shopkeeper will call us being very angry and said, like, please don't feature my clothes in your magazines anymore because every time you put a piece of my clothing in your magazine, it sells out. And then when people come and they try to buy it and they don't find it, they lose their temper. Ooh. So that was how powerful media is back then, you right. know. Um, and then obviously, blogging happened. And then you have bloggers who, you know, because they make their information, their content so readily available and for free, you know, everyone started shifting from actually consuming magazine and then to actually reading the blogs, right? 
And then you have social media. And that is where the shift happens again. So no one's really reading blogs right now. But everyone, but you so you see bloggers who people who used to be very prolific bloggers, they become they have now become um, content creators on say platforms like Instagram, on Facebook. So instead of just putting a blog, putting up a blog and then sharing that link on Facebook and hoping to drive traffic back to your website. People are realizing that you need to content, you need to create that content on the platform that people are actually on. Right, and and having said that, say say you're a prolific blogger and then you make that transition mm. to social media, etc. Yeah, um, and that's you producing content. Mm. How does that make you a better consumer of content? I guess because once you kind of know the process of creating content, you kind you also kind of go like you know what I know what is I know when you are bullshitting and yes. I know when you have actually done decent work to get this piece of content out right. so a while back I think I mean I, I think we still see a lot of this you know this kind of content which is like 10 best steak under $20 right. kind of thing and it used to I think posts like this used to garner a lot a lot of clicks and then people wised up right, right. if you are telling me these are the 10 best steak under $20. I'm going to ask you, did you actually go eat those steaks? Right? right? Did you pay for those steaks? And then after that, you know, you have content that goes like, you know, um, 10 best street food in Bangkok. You know, that kind of thing. I've been to Bangkok so many times myself and I don't recognize any of the food that you yeah. put on your list. So now as a consumer, I will have to ask myself, do I want to give... Do, how much credibility do I want to give you? Do I want to go and check out your recommendations? Or do I still think that what I know in Bangkok is the best? Right. Yeah. yeah. So as a consumer, you just go like, yeah, I have created list. I have created what we call listicles before. And now when I see listicles, first of all, I check, you know, are your choices even insightful or different in the first place because if everyone is saying the 10 best places you lack originality right and then after that if let's say some of your choices are indeed different from everyone else then i will ask whether you actually you were actually paid to mention these places so because if you you so it, which brings me back to my point if you've actually been through the whole process of creating content before it makes you more skeptical it right. also makes you a little bit more critical about you know, the things that you that's put in front of you. And right. therefore, that's why I've always believed that if you want to be a smarter consumer of content, you need to be involved in that content creation. And it's so easy for everyone to create content these days. Even yeah. your own Instagram, when you post things like, I just had brunch at, these, at this fabulous place, right? This is my food, what I feel about it. And I feel like even if you're not a very established food writer, for instance, right. you can still share your own two cents, you tag that place when people check out what that place is like and they see your photo. First of all, your your visual has to be stunning, right? right? So everyone is now a great photographer thanks to filters as well. Yeah. So <laughs> you, first of all, you draw people in with your your visual, which is what every, which is what media has been doing all this time. Magazines, the front cover, right? right? The cover stars, they're always so important. So first of all, you always draw people in with the visual and then when they are drawn in, they read your captions. Yeah. And that is how you become part of the whole content creation process. Right. And you get better and better because you are spurred by the likes, you are spurred by the response that you get from your followers or even people who actually stumbled upon that. Oh, you know what? I totally didn't know that maybe X Benedict were made this way, but thanks for sharing, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. So yeah, so I feel like everyone now has a chance to be part of that content creation process. And if you are really serious about it, you know, as you should be with your own social media profiles, then I feel like there is a chance that everyone can become better consumers of content. Right. That's an interesting point. And uh, I think, for, for example, being a, a good content creator mm. will, will hopefully make us more discerning and smarter in the way we vet the type of content out there. Mm. So having said that, why do you think the quality of contents... Um, for majority of the content mm. out there still isn't as good as we should be. Lack of professional training, I guess. I mean, that's probably one of the reasons. I mean, a lot of people are passionate about creating content. Unfortunately, they probably don't have the opportunity to work in a professional content creation setting or they 
didn't go to a media or communication studies type of school, right? So everyone is probably amateur and, you know, a casual creator of content. It's not to say that these content are bad just because they may have grammar mistake and things like that. But I feel like, so the casual creator, if you have grammar mistakes, if you make certain, you know, if you use certain words a little bit too much, too, too frequently, that's fine. But it, it becomes a sore point when you start to make it a, a professional career. Yeah. career out of it. So yeah. suddenly you're, you you start a Facebook page, you start a channel, YouTube channel, you really start to monetize your content, then I feel you have the responsibility to get better, level up. Right. Yeah. Okay. So it's not so much that um, content should be better. It's more like we just have the responsibility to be better as yeah. we start to make it more oh sorry start to make it less casual and mm. more uh professional when you start to get an audience and a yeah. good following yeah of course i mean there's always this argument that yeah but you know what i don't need it to be so polished because it lacks authenticity yeah. but i feel like authenticity isn't 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 something you sacrifice just because you get better yeah so yeah so yeah i mean yeah and that's a and that's a fair point i mean you've seen some of the some of the great content creators out there who've never lost their authenticity mm. while they transition to a little bit more yeah uh, to a more professional setting exactly so yeah i mean it's it's, it's probably it probably is just a convenient excuse so that mm. they don't have to spend more time upskilling, you know, yeah. because at the end of the day, it's just, it's business, right? Just yeah. quantity, get it out there, make more money. Yeah, so Gary Vaynerchuk yesterday on his LinkedIn also said something that quantity and quality are not exactly mutually exclusive. You can still churn out a lot of content and you don't have to lose quality. And similarly, I think one, I because of this, I, I remember one of the things that one of my friends um, said to me a long time ago. He says that if you're in the media, okay, whatever the whatever the form it may take these days, right? You have a voice, and it's a voice that a lot of people are referring to, are deferring to. For instance, and because you have a voice, you have the responsibility to get better, to be better, and to be more responsible with what you put out there. And so I feel like. If you are serious about content creation, if you are serious about even monetizing your content, if you have a decent following, you have the responsibility to get better and to level up your game. Right. So would you say <clears throat> content creation or the way content creation is going now mm. is also um, the future of learning? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think this is really this is a really good question because... When I first joined SmartUp, I didn't come from a learning background at all. Yeah. You know, I, I when you say that means you didn't like learning or you just didn't. I didn't uh, know learning. <laughs> okay. I yeah. mean, I always felt like content is content, learning is learning, right? And right. you just go like, yeah, learning like that's boring stuff. People have to learn PowerPoints, PDF, what have you, right? And then I joined SmartUp as the Asia head of content. And I go meet the clients. And then one of the things, one of my first projects in SmartUp was um, to help one of our clients, which is a Malaysian telco, to sort of gamify their company policies, um, company policies uh, documents, right? I think the most instinctive way to do it would be you look at the document, you copy and paste the words, you put it up onto your platform because you would assume nah, the clients, they would know better. They've been seeing these boring content their whole life. If I just put it up and make it digital, they would be like thanking the gods, right? Like, oh, suddenly my content is so happening. But obviously, I'm better than right. <laughs> I would like to believe. So I took those content and with my team, we actually made infographics out of car park policies, out of the way you should pay for your food at the cafeteria, Things that people take for granted that should, you know, that will be given to you during your first day at work. It's going to be boring, but you have to power through it because this is, if you want to work in this organization, you've got to learn how to do it, right? Right. But we, we did infographics. 
you know, and then we showed some of the examples to another client and then she went, this is the most interesting car park policies I've ever read in my whole <laughs> life. And trust me, I've read a lot of car park policies. And then that was like the, my personal eureka moment. And I just go, yeah, you know, I think having come from lifestyle content background where it is so important to engage the audience, to draw the audience and to just make your content pop for want of a better word, to yeah. make your content pop, right? You, you, you kind of think like, yeah, when it comes to learning, why should people have to suffer through it just right. because they have to do it? Right. Why can't we make it enjoyable? Why can't we make it more engaging? And why can't we apply the same principles of content creation to learning? You know, the same content creation, the same principles that we use to create content in a lifestyle setting and put it into corporate training and right. put it into, you know, um, proper certification, license, learning kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. It's interesting because I agree with you and yet I want to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's such a thing. but um, And I'll give, you, I'll give you a very mm. clear example yep. of this. Uh, oh, sorry, two clear examples of this. The most boring textbooks are incredibly exciting to someone who enjoys learning them. Mm. And the second part is I've uh, I've been in a few big companies and they've all had this like really interactive learning okay. uh, courses to uh, for us to really learn the company and and the things that we have to do in a really quick way in a mm. in a engaging way. Um, they are just different ways of learning mm. and more interactive, more micro, more more new age, does it enable retention of knowledge? No, it doesn't. So that's only half the equation. Right. That's really, really half the equation. So, um, you know, I've always feel very strongly about the passive absorption of information. So basically, what we have always been doing is we go to school, we are given a textbook, we learn the teacher talk at us. And the only time we actually get to apply that knowledge is when we are tested Right. And we have to sit for exams. And even then, that's probably three or four months later. <laughs> and if you think about it, there is this thing called the Forgetting Curve by Herman Ebbinghaus. Mm -hmm. um, and it says that you forget up to 58% of what you learn after just 20 minutes of being exposed to that information. So the theory would stand that you have to keep applying in order to retain that information. So yeah, it could stick with it could, it could draw you in like a great video about the company's history you know the ceo is talking to you on the video welcome to our company <laughs> you know we have a 150 year history we are making great big leaps towards sustainability and then you're shown pictures of windmills you're shown pictures of this you're you know and then after that you have personal testimonials of people who have grown with the organization these are really great content right but if you don't actually do something with that content, you will forget about it until you are asked, you know, hey, so you watched that video, so what was your favourite part about it? Maybe your, your boss will ask you this three months later when they yeah. are revamping that video and you go, oh, you know what? That's a, I remember it being a great video, but I would have to watch it again to tell you how to improve it. Right. So the thing is, we have to keep applying what we learn in order to retain it better. So the thing is, how you retain, you have to apply. And how you apply, one of the easiest way, I've written about it, um, one of the easiest way to apply that knowledge is to teach it right. to someone else. And if you can teach it to someone else using, you know, terminology that you're familiar with plainly in English or, you know, like conversationally when you explain a difficult concept or a difficult policy or something like that to a fellow colleague, you will remember it better as well. So the more you explain, the more you teach it, the better that information sticks with you. Right. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, I mean, um, have you watched the movie Philadelphia by any chance? Denzel yes. Washington and Tom, Tom Hanks. Hanks. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's this uh, really great part where um, Tom Hanks comes into Denzel's office and then he was explaining the discrimination against him and Denzel didn't understand and he said, explain it to me like I'm a five-year-old. <laughs> and, yeah. and, till, and, till, and till today, I 
it's it's almost ingrained in me in mm. in terms of that's how I should learn to explain it, explain yeah. things to others. Exactly. And I and and it's really true what you say. Like, the best way to learn is to teach. Mm-hmm. But an even better way to learn is to teach it in a way that even someone who doesn't care or doesn't yeah. understand jargon will get it as well. I absolutely agree. So yesterday I saw on LinkedIn um, a fintech looking for a head of content. So I know a friend's looking for a job, and she's right now in travel um, in travel content, right? So um, I forwarded I forwarded that link to her, and she's like, "Oh, that's really interesting," but I have zero financial like knowledge and i said that's even better because that particular fintech you know they do a lot of consumer content and your consumers are not going to know your etf from your whatever you know that kind of stuff so i said the best person i believe to hit up content in a fintech like this is someone with zero knowledge of financial like you know zero financial knowledge and zero financial mastery and stuff like that because you are learning together with your audience and the moment you learn something and you translate it into a much simpler way to explain to your audience your audience benefits and when your audience benefits they find you helpful and the whole same thing they find you helpful they're more likely to trust you and when they trust you then they're more likely to go with your services so if you ever go apply for this job use this line of reasoning (laughs) that's so true and 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 so let's say we understand that mm-hmm. this is this is a great way to learn. Yeah. Uh, if we're in a big organization, you know, and we we want to learn from the people who do it right, the people mm-hmm. who, uh, I guess, we would like to role model ourselves or model ourselves after in terms of them being um, someone we re- we can relate to, someone mm. who 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 does their job really well, really yep. efficiently. Uh, just an overall top performer. Uh, what's a good way to to absorb from them and to learn from them, and then to retain that 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 knowledge? Because I don't know. I I find in big organizations or maybe even small, mm. um, that type of accessibility is you know especially when you have your own work to worry about is yeah is is can be a challenge. True. Um. I think in a big... Let's start with a big organization first. So in a big organization, there's probably structures and there's probably departments and people vested with the job of making sure everyone in the organization is always learning. And if that kind of system, that kind of culture is already in place, then that's awesome because probably you will be able... It's easier for you to find a mentor. It's easier for you to approach your direct manager and say, hey, you know what? I'm interested in finding out more about this technology that our company is doing. Um, Who can I talk to? And you get fixed up with someone, you learn and you have a coffee conversation. And organizations sometimes also do cool things like lunch and learn, brown bag sessions where, you know, they just have it in their pantry, they provide lunch and they get a subject matter expert, you know, to talk about certain things. So that's all cool, right? And... So, first of all, if you're in a big organization, the best way to learn from the top performers is have a structure in place. Hopefully, there is a structure in place that makes it easy for you to approach either your direct line manager or the people leading the learning culture in your company to sort of um, fix you up with someone whom you want to learn from. And also, in a big organization, there's probably... Um, learning KPIs that you have to meet as well. So they will say that, you know, we have this new... Uh, they also have learning management systems as right, well. Right. So not necessarily smarter, but, you know... <laughs> yeah. yeah, so they also have learning management systems and they will tell you every year you need to clock how many hours of learning. So these are still some very passive ways of learning and taking it upon yourself to learn and to approach people whom you can learn from. So that is one way one of the most direct way that you can start learning if you're in a organization in a um, sorry so mm. um just just to to add on to that mm. um or to probe further so for example let's say you you've got these structures in place and, but sometimes these structures are not um something as obvious as you would like yeah. to think right because you Correct. know like, these structures are in place but it's it's similar to like mm. your company's insurance policy it's there but you never yeah. know what Correct. to use or when yeah. to use so uh, let's say um for someone who doesn't know what's a good way to start and let's say um, 
perhaps I, mm. uh, we can just create an arbitrary example, yep. or a random example now. Let's say I'm in, um, I'm in customer service, mm. but I really want to learn how to what the the efficiencies or what the most efficient engineer in our company does to mm. to make because he has good time management, and I want to emulate that because I know that they are engineers maybe are really good at time management for example yeah. how do i navigate the structure to get to that mm. well first of all i would have to congratulate you for identifying specifically <laughs> certain people who will teach you that kind of skills right but i think most of the time that's really not the case um i interviewed bob aubrey who is also a very established like learning professional and human capital development like leader in his field a while ago and he shared this very good tip first of all you have to think about your personal and professional development like a business plan so if you were to take your professional development and think of it as a business plan that means you you need to sort of maybe right now i'm here in five years time where do i want to be and is the long-term goal my ultimate long-term goal of being the best that I can ever be professionally with this organization or is really not in this organization. So once you answer that, if you recognize, so let's draw it back to my personal experience. So when I was an editorial assistant, one day the CEO's assistant called me and said that, you know, Julie wants to see you. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm a fresh grad and I have no idea why the CEO wants to see me. (laughs) So I didn't sleep very well the night before the meeting. But I went into her office and she goes like, okay, so, you know, I've heard good things about you from your editor. Um, You're very proactive and it seems like you work very well with the sales team. I just want to know what is your midterm plans and what is your ultimate goal, things like that. And I was really shocked. First of all, yeah, it's flattering that somebody from the C-suite has taken interest in my career. And secondly, yeah, that really forced me to think about what I want to achieve and if ultimately what I wanted to achieve was with this company. So I told her, yeah, you know, the short term is I would ultimately like to be an editor of the magazine that I'm at. And the long term goal is that I want to be publishing my own magazine. And that is not with this company anymore unless, you know, they start a new title or my the CEO leaves or yeah. something like that, right? Did but, you tell the CEO that? <laughs> but she looked at me and she says like, great dreams, but you will know it's very difficult to publish a magazine. Right. Yeah, but it's good for you to think about it in this way. So first of all, you need to think professionally, like a business plan, where you want to be and how to get there. And this is, and who do you need to learn from? So once you see that, then you know, okay, so maybe right now I'm in frontline retail. And ultimately, I would like to be the regional general manager. How do I get there? Who are the people who typically become regional general manager? Are they frontline sales staff or are they the top sales people, you know, B2B or are they the best trainers or do they have to work overseas and stuff like that? So once you identify the people who are most likely to be made regional general manager, then you need to plan your career path towards that. You know, so a lot of us, we take it one step at a time. We think, okay, next year I'll get promoted to assistant store manager. The year after, it will be great if I can be in charge of a few stores. And then after that, but we don't think so long term. We always just, oh, promotion, great. Okay, I'll take right. it. And then the next year, oh, no promotion, but pay raise. Oh, okay, la, okay. La. And then life takes over. You get married, you have a kid, and suddenly you just go, you know what? I think I want to take a few years off work to watch my kid. And suddenly you forget that you ever wanted to be regional general manager. So you need to think long-term and to get to that long-term goal, what are the incremental steps you need to take and achieve in order to get there? And who are the people you need to be talking to and who are the people you need to be hanging out with, you know, interacting on a daily basis or even just connecting on LinkedIn. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so even before um, figuring out who you want to talk to, um, to improve yourself, create a plan of where you want to be. Yes, Got exactly. It. And it's not the easiest thing to do, but yeah. let's say, for instance, if you have some downtime, it is something that is worth thinking about. I think so, yeah. Yeah. And I think now that you mention it, yeah, it really makes more sense. And if I were to tag on a question to mm. add on to that, 
what about if we don't know what you what, want to do? Yeah, right? Because I imagine a lot of young, mm. uh, fresh grads who just joined, you know, and even those who are mid-career and they're looking for yeah. a transition, they'll be like, you know what? Yeah, I would like to plan for five years, except I don't really know what, what's, at st- you know, what's at stake for me or what's mm. next for me. Wow, that's really difficult. I mean, I really, I wouldn't have a good answer to this question because I, I've always been someone who knows know what I want. Yeah, you're a go-getter. <laughs> <laughs> what I want to get out of life and what I want to even, you know, be at next, you know. So, yeah, I highly encourage maybe people taking some time out to sort of really think about where they want to be and what they want to do because it sounds really, really harsh, but we can't just go through life not knowing what to do with ourselves, right? And I... So, I'm going to share my age here. I'm 40 years old. And last week, I got news that a friend passed away from a heart attack and he's my age. And he was on holiday with his family and he left behind children, wife and things like that. And so I wrote a blog post about it and I, I didn't really talk about my friend, but you know, it's more like you things like that, you kind of have to wonder, you know, am I doing right by my life? Right. And you really have to think about things like that because if you were to go tomorrow, what would you like people to remember you by and what would you like written on your tombstone? Right. Right. And so for me, I, I shared that I won't be happy if, all that people remember about me is that I'm a daughter, sister, wife. Some right. people are great. You know, if that is if that makes you happy, that's great. But that's not my game. So I and I still actually, you know, I know where I want to be in five years' time, but I don't know where I want to be 15 years' time. I don't know where I want to be when I die, like how people will remember me, you know. So yeah, you existential crisis like this <laughs> are sometimes very necessary. So yeah, you you really have to think about it, uh. right? Mm. But I think you you kind of answered the question, even though you 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 didn't really, mm. or I think you didn't give you think you okay. you, you didn't <laughs> give an answer, um, and that is maybe we don't know where we see ourselves in five years, but mm. we definitely know who we would like to be, like mm. the type of person we want to be. Yeah, and I think we, it's a good place to start. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, sure. I mean, who knows what the job of tomorrow is, right? Yeah. But we definitely know what the type of person we want to be. Do we want to do we want to lead a team? Do we want to 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 be an, in, in an industry that is of specific interest mm. to us? There are certain things that we already have clues yeah. towards. So I don't think, yeah, maybe those who maybe the business plan that we need to create in terms of our learning sh- mm. doesn't really have to be career-wise. but Can be more skills-wise. Like, yeah, yeah, skills yeah wise, absolutely. Type yeah. of people we want to be. Yep. You know, like, I just, I guess there are different ways of learning mm. uh, yeah. how to be the best you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Got yeah. it. So the, the key is really just to find those pe- people that you can learn yeah. from as well. Yeah, like you said, there's no one clear pathway. Some people could be driven by you know, the ultimate goal in your life is to be this. Or some people could be, well, the ultimate goal in my life is to learn as ma- is to learn as much as possible and preferably, you know, I would like to learn this, 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 this. And you identify the skills you want to accumulate and yeah. you then find the people who can best, best teach it to you, right? So, right. yeah, I guess that's a that's a pretty good way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah. so now that we've, we've, we've kind of discovered, mm. you know, a good way to learn and to really c- create a plan, yep. what's the best way of retaining that plan? I think you alluded mm. to it a little bit yep. earlier about, you know, teaching it to others, but yep. are there other ways as well? I think the thing is, a lot of um, corporates and institutions, they are gradually accepting the fact that knowledge sharing is one way to get people involved in the learning conversation and to get people to retain what they've learned as well. So, like we said, right, there's no sure way of really knowing that you have understood and that you have successfully retained all that information until you show it right. to others. So um, a lot of companies are really getting, you know, are crowdsourcing that learning content from within. So if you look at LinkedIn's um, workplace survey for this year, 2019, they, they, 
no, there's this statistics where I don't know the actual number, but there's always this. There was this page that says that you know, um, learning leaders in organization are spending this much on external content, and they're also spending this much on internal content. So there's actually quite an equal weightage of importance given to external content. Meaning, like, okay, you know what? I just want you to learn public speaking. Obviously, you can learn it from downloading courses from Udemy, yeah. LinkedIn Learning, for example, but. Internally, they also want people to learn, and the internal knowledge could be something like, you know, um, um, team management, better better team management, or sales leadership that is really specific to the organization itself. You know, um, driving team culture and stuff like that. So, you know, besides external learning content, I think. If you can sort of get involved in the creation of internal learning content, and be an active player in that, you are well on your way to not only retaining that information, you are also well on your way to becoming that subject matter expert. And sometimes I feel like everyone can be a subject matter expert. Gradually, everyone should be a subject matter expert, given yeah. how easy it is to create content and how easy it is to share knowledge. Right. So. Yeah, I I feel like knowledge sharing is really definitely the way to go. Mm. Right, and it's 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 interesting because if that really is the case, then organizations probably have a lot more to do, right? Because mm. usually the the sharing always is done by the best performing or or, or something like that, right? Like you know, you I mean you. Yeah. you for example, if you are in sales, you always hear the tips mm. from the top salesmen, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. correct. Yeah, but, you know, but uh, I guess I mean, judging by what you said, maybe there's also some value in hearing, um, you know, not to say the worst salesman, but let's say let's say for for discussion's sake, mm. the worst salesman, and what it's like to struggle being struggling to hit your KPIs and yeah. and really learning. The, the emotional state and you know how to strengthen yeah. your emotional IQ uh, during that time. So, do you think do you think organizations should should really open up that that the platform of sharing to everyone? Yeah. So that goes back to the earlier point where we say that everyone learns differently, right? And I think one of the biggest trends that will be coming up in the field of learning is that we have to find ways to make it safe for people to not only fail, but also for people to share their failures, you know, and to share the lessons that came with that failure. So, which is why if you have a learning management system that allows you to create that content and share that knowledge, you can, it doesn't have to be best practices or like, you know, the alphas in the organization <laughs> share how they succeeded and things like that. It can even be a channel where it's about you know, what's going on in the village kind of thing, right? right? Like, you know, um, so-and-so just came back from four months maternity leave and she shared that actually she learned a lot about confinement dishes. Yeah. And so you can write an article about this lady that has just come back from maternity and maternity leave and, you know, maybe she's developed a passion for confinement practices and dishes. Get her to share it. Because right. besides work, right, people are also interested in people, right? So I feel like... A lot of organizations, they are gradually doing that, but maybe not so wide a scale. But definitely, we need to find ways to make it safe for people to share knowledge that is maybe not work-related, but humanizes that organization and yeah. definitely brings a very human aspect to the culture as well. So one of our uh, clients in SmartUp, they use our platform to do something like America's Got Talent kind of thing. <laughs> so they set up a, a channel where it's just people singing, dancing, showing taekwondo move, and then the organization vote, you know, like That's move to fun. the next round. Yeah. yeah, so there's a fun element to... Yeah. So not only are you encouraging people to try creating content in that chat, in on that platform, you're also showing how fun it can be, uh, a different aspect of creativity that you are, you know, true through encouraging people to create content that's not work-related, but using that professional learning management system that your company has, you yeah. kind of open up people's mind to, okay, so this is how content ideally should look like on this platform. I become a more uh, critical consumer of the learning content that is put on this platform. And then because of that, you, you kind of 
you know, start that whole cycle again about being more actively involved in the conversation, in the creation of content as well. Right. Mm. Well, that, that's, a, that's a really interesting thing at the uh, yeah. America's Got Talent or the organization's <laughs> version of it. Yeah. I, and it's and it's nice to have uh, organizations, I guess, uh, wake up to that as well. Mm. Because I think um, if uh, for for companies, especially in this modern day and age, there there's almost this um, unspoken rule to bring your authentic self to mm. work. So in order to do that, you know, the best way to facilitate yeah. that is really to allow them to share every aspect of their yep. life especially when mo- most of your waking hours are spent mm, at work right? yeah and i think i think it's a really good sign that a lot of organizations are recognizing that they yeah. they really are and even if they are not expecting you to share your failures but you know they're expecting you to bring your most authentic self to work and to share your hobbies to share what you do during your downtime right. to maybe even encourage you to organize some team activities that is totally non-work related if you like to go karaoke you know have yeah. a karaoke competition during lunchtime <laughs> you know that kind of stuff so I think yeah I think organizations and employers are definitely recognizing that does the rise of co-working spaces as well yeah. right yeah. yeah yeah and I think um it it also it also touches upon mm. something that I think is very is uh, very integral to being human, and that is the fact that more than just sharing, we like to be connected. Mm. You know, and I think there's no better way, like regardless of whether it's in the office or you know outside with friends and stuff, that the best way to connect is really to share your your experience and have mm. other people relate to it. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think that's uh that's number one the best way to learn mm. but that's also the best way yeah. to to i guess retain talent because people understand the value beyond even if they enjoy the work they do sometimes mm. just as important is the people they yeah they, they work with right yeah i think one of the so my first job paid really badly mm. everyone got paid very badly yeah and the but the thing is nobody left no, but the turnover rate is super, super low. Okay, I think maybe working in magazines has its perks, but one day we were having lunch and one of my colleagues was like, you know, I think it's really unfair that the company capitalizes on how close we are to each other to not pay us well. I mean, she was saying it in a joke, joking manner, but yeah. they're kind of like, yeah, actually, you know what? A lot of us stay really long in this particular magazine because... We're so close to each other. We hang out over the weekend. We go for runs together. And like you said, you know, people spend so much of their time at work. They also want to feel like they're not just another cog in the machine. They want to feel like there's connection. They are coming back to their second family. There is a whole, you know, um, success that you are sharing in and that you're working towards. And yeah, I guess the great companies, they really know how to do that. Yeah. And of course, the better ones, they reward people for doing that. So, yeah. yeah. That's true. And final question, or mm-hmm. finalish question, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, based on your experience, I mean, in your current role and, you know, I mean, in, in a learning management capacity, what do you think is the best way for teams to, should I say teams or individuals to really get started um, to learn from each other in an effective and um, time-efficient manner? So, we're talking about how big a team exactly? Um, Maybe you can define it because, Mm. uh, to be honest, uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's true. I mean, not say that's true that you don't know. I mean, yeah, like, (laughs) true that we should define it. Yeah. Well, I think for very, very big teams, right, then it really boils down to your immediate circles first. Like, who can you learn from? And if you find that the people you're working with, you're not learning from them and they're not making you better, then maybe that's not quite the team for you. So, you know, we always say the moment you stop learning, it's time to move on. So, yeah. So with that in mind, then you need to ask yourself, regardless of the size of your team, who are your, who's the core circle that you're actually working closely with? And do do you see a mentor among them? 
do you feel like there is somebody whose life experience or whose personality or whose way of doing work, work ethics, for instance, is something that you can learn from? And if that is the case, great, you know, because you will, you will definitely benefit from interacting with them, from working with them, from collaborating with them. And then after that, you know, as you move up the ladder, then your circle gets slightly bigger as well. So imagine as a series of concentric circles. So yeah. you start from the inside, then as you move up, then your 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 the center of where you are becomes much bigger as well, encompassing more people and including the people that is within that old circle. Right. And then from there, again, you need to look for new people to learn from, to work with, to collaborate with. And then again, you move up, you move up and you always continue, you should always continually find people to learn from, to work with. Right. And if you can't do that, then I think it's time to ask yourself if that is really an organization yeah. for you. I mean, yeah, there are lone wolves out there who like, you know what, I don't need to learn from people. I just need to <laughs> sign up for online courses, yeah. learn, keep the knowledge to myself. Then when I uh, when I interview for my next job, I can just like say, hey, you know what, I know Python, yeah. right? But <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. I mean, that's great for you if you learn best that yeah. way. You know, everyone learns differently. But if let's say you're talking about team learning, learning from your team, then imagine your movement as a, concent a series of concentric circles where first of all, you start small. Then as you go up, you start you you have a bigger you have a bigger circle that includes new people and old people that you know and then you know so i i would think that's how we can start viewing our team relationship and and how we collaborate with our team in that view so yeah right and it's funny cuz i i uh, to add on to what you said cuz i read i read um uh, a journal paper once mm -hmm. um that says like Men and women learn equally, mm -hmm. but women share more. Yep. Women, <laughs> women love to share and collaborate. Yep. Whereas men, we are selfish creatures. We're like, I learned it already. <laughs> Time to promote myself. <laughs> so, so um, I think it's not so much that men don't don't share, but once they well. know, they want to show you. <laughs> and then once they show you, you better not disagree yeah. with them. <laughs> they, they need they need to mansplain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, but I I in I'm just picking up some core mm. themes of what you just said, and I th and it's I think it's very valuable for me to to at least reiterate it, which is to to learn, to teach, and then to collaborate. Mm. And I think those are very fundamental to teams, and really the 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 goal of organizations or even teams is really to create an mm. environment that allows all three yep. of these to thrive. Yeah, and if you want to remember, it even easier is. Create, collaborate, connect. Because ultimately, like we said, the, the main thing that keeps people together, that keeps people growing, I mean, that, you know, helps people to grow and within an organization is definitely the connections. Right. And if you, if you struggle to build connections with your colleagues, with your bosses, with everybody in your organization... Maybe you should be a solopreneur. <laughs> <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's true, yeah. All right. Yeah. Wh whoever's listening, you know. <laughs> Hint. <laughs> but but oh, but that's uh, yeah, thanks for that. Create, collaborate, connect. Connect. Yeah. Okay. I'm mm. gonna remember that now. It's very easy. So uh now that we are towards the end of the mm -hmm. podcast, um probably I'd also like to give you some time to really explain what what okay. you do, um, what SmartUp does. Um, you know, because you, you've explained it to me a few times, <laughs> but I'm almost 100% certain that if I explain it, I'll probably get like half of it wrong. So <laughs> I'm glad you're here to explain what SmartUp does. So take it this, away. You know, my brother's name is also Nicholas. Oh, okay. And my brother asked me every time we meet up, what is your... What does your startup do again? What does your startup? And I'm like, oh my goodness, how many times do I have to explain to you, yeah. like, explain this to you, Nicholas? So yeah. anyway, so oh, so it's uh, almost like deja vu. Yeah, <laughs> deja vu, right? So anyway, um, SmartUp is a learning experience platform. Uh, we call ourselves EdTech, you know, education technology. We're founded in the UK, um, and headquartered in Singapore. So what we do is that. We like to call ourselves the WeWork of learning because right. we provide um, our customers with the solution to sort of brand your own co-learning space. 
um, the content, the facilities, the features that you have within your big community is shared by all your members and clients, but everyone gets their own personal space, their own personal office um, of learning. So you will be able to keep your data, you'll be able to keep your records, you know, free from prying eyes or free from, you know, um, so people who are not within your organization or community will not be able to see your learning records. But everyone still gets the same content. Um, and yeah, so that's what we do in a nutshell. Uh, but if you really want to find out more, visit us at smartup.io or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, right. My name is Deborah Tan-Pink. Yep. All right, that's easy. And I'll put, and I'll put those, uh, um, those connection stuff cool. uh on the podcast description as well so nice. people don't have to guess <laughs> yeah I, I always share this with all my guests uh, um so, sometimes i interview guests with difficult names yeah and they're like yeah look me up on linkedin i'm like i don't think anyone's gonna remember <laughs> but thanks yeah <laughs> but yeah, yeah. but uh, I'll, I'll put it on uh, in the description on the you. podcast yeah deborah thank you it's been a pleasure thanks for having me nick <laughs> all right and i uh, hope the listeners uh and I'm sure the listeners actually would have gotten a lot of useful tips on how to learn. I hope so too. Yeah. Create, to collaborate, connect. Words to live by. Yep. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you.